So this morning as we continue in Romans chapter 5, we come to verses 3 through 5, and this, 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 the subject that we're dealing with today is suffering. Uh, Paul explains that from um, his perspective, far from the cause of, of suffering being, uh, being meant to discourage us, the cause is really to give us hope. Now that sounds odd, but this is what Paul's going to teach us today. And it actually gives us confidence that we are the children of God. So let's hear the word of God this morning. This is from uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we gather here today in your in the name of Jesus, uh, we trust that your Holy Spirit will use your word uh, to convict us, to, uh, to make alive what is dead. And uh, so we ask that the Spirit uh, work through your, ser- uh, your servant, Greg, that he will proclaim your word uh, in power and also in truth. And we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, last week we mentioned that these first 11 verses of Romans chapter 5 are kind of like a rest stop. It's a time that we can just take a break because of all that we've already heard about justification by faith. So it's a chance to let all that sink in and also a chance to rejoice at the benefits of being justified by grace. And so last week, we saw that Paul in the first two verses covered three of those benefits that we rejoice in, right? The first one was that we have peace with God. And that is probably the greatest benefit of being justified by God's grace is that we now have peace with the God that we were one time at war with, even though we didn't know it. And now there's peace and reconciliation. Number two, we rejoice that we have access into his grace. That was the second thing that we rejoiced in. And not only that we have access into the grace, but that we stand firmly, continually in that grace, not ever going to be removed from that because of Christ. So we rejoice. And the third thing that Paul said was that we know that one day we will be glorified. We rejoice in the fact that we've been justified by grace because we know because of that that we will be glorified one day in the presence of God. Now, this week, the rejoicing continues, right? However, um, the reason for the rejoicing may seem odd (laughs) at first. Notice verse 3, he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. So, so far, we've been tracking pretty well with Paul, right? Yeah, we rejoice in being made peace with God, and yes, we rejoice in having the grace of God bestowed in our hearts and being able to stand in that grace. And yes, we rejoice that one day we're going to be in heaven standing before him. Perfect. Rejoice in sufferings. Hmm. So did Paul lose you there, right? He kind of lost us there. Like, wait a minute, rejoice in our sufferings. I mean, if this, if the contents of verses three through five were Paul's term paper that he was going to turn into his professor, the, the introductory thesis statement would read like this. Christians can rejoice in suffering because suffering produces hope. Now, again, that sounds counterintuitive, right? Suffering, we should rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces hope. And, and so that's, that's, that's just, that's, 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 
that, that's counter to most world religions and most world views, correct? I mean, atheists and agnostics believe suffering is a random act of misfortune that has no rhyme or reason, no purpose whatsoever. Hinduism teaches that suffering is the result of bad karma and that you're just getting what you deserve. <laughs> you, got what, you get what's coming to you. The prosperity gospel proponents, they act as if suffering is a complete foreign thing that no real Christian should ever experience. If, you, if you're experiencing suffering as a Christian, you're, there's something wrong. But Paul explains that suffering is something that every Christian will experience and should rejoice in because God is using suffering in our lives not only to reveal that we are genuine believers, but also to instill confidence. That's hope, by the way. Confidence in our final glorification. So Peter says the same thing, as a matter of fact. You think, well, Paul's just, he was a little off, right? Paul got hit in the head with too many stones, and <laughs> uh, he's kind of off. Well, first Peter, we see Peter backs Paul up with the same idea in chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Same concept. Rejoice in your sufferings. It's going to happen. It's a natural thing. It's, it's, it's not some weird thing. It's a natural thing. It will happen to you, but there's a reason for it. You're being tested in your faith to see if it's genuine. And when you realize it is, you rejoice because you will see the glory of God one day. That's, that's the assurance that wells up within a believer. It causes us to continue to leave, live through all the doo-doo and, and junk of this world. So how, how does suffering produce this hope? So Paul's going to break this down in a, in a little bit of a formula for us in the, in the next couple of verses. So look at Romans 3 again. Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance. What is endurance? It's the ability to bear up under pressure uh, or to withstand adversity, right? It's the ability to keep on keeping on when things get tough. And, and so, so this endurance, it's something that our generation greatly needs today, endurance. Being able to stand through the storm, being able to work through the hard times and not give up. Second Timothy chapter 2, Paul kind of encourages that young preacher Timothy to endure. And he uses, we're not going to read it, but he uses metaphors like uh, a good soldier, an athlete, a hardworking farmer. He says, endure hardships, endure hardness like a good soldier. So again, this is, this is this idea of taking the hit and continuing to march forward. I mean, think of the discipline, right, of the military. Again, it's something that's, that's, that's in our minds. We see boot camp and basic training. And we, we see all of the hard stuff that has to be done in order to make someone ready for battle, right? You're tested with all of that stuff. Just like an athlete. What is an athlete? A good athlete, one who's going to perform. They, 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 have, to, they have to keep going through the pain, through the hardships. I mean, let's face it, most professional athletes every any given Sunday are playing through great pain, some injuries. I mean, it, this is just what you do uh, uh, because it's part of that testing, right? You're enduring. You don't just quit. I mean, man, what 
What linebacker comes in after a practice says, Coach, I hurt my pinky. I can't play Sunday. I just can't go for. I can't go on. I need to be you know, taking a break. What? No, he'll say, take a bench. Forget taking a break. You're done. But no, we have to continue to take the suffering. It hits us, and we endure. That's the idea, endurance. A hardworking farmer. Same idea. I mean, think about it. These guys. You work, you, you plow fields, you prepare it, you get ready, you plant, you take care of it, you, you, you fertilize, you weed, you do all the things throughout the season, and then the rains stop, the drought comes, the crops die, and you're wiped out that year. What is endurance? Endurance says at the very next opportunity, the farmer's back out there, plowing the field again, preparing the field again, and continuing to farm. That's endurance. You don't just stop at the first sign of trouble, you don't, you, you, but you persevere through the pain, the heartaches, the misfortunes. That's endurance. And, and, and so, so that's what suffering helps us to do. If there is no adversity or tension, we'll never be tested to be made stronger. Right? Like weightlifting. It's, it's this idea of an opposite force, right? You're, you, when you lift, this is called curling. I've done this before, right? When you, when you lift, there's a heavy weight there. You don't just lift two marshmallows and well, look at me. No, it's got to be something heavier. And, and, and then you keep increasing that weight. If you want to build the muscle, you keep increasing that weight, that resistance. And the Lord knows this is how we are built up as his people. Suffering produces endurance. The ability to face a storm and keep going. But look what he goes on to say. Verse 4. These dovetail into each other. He says, and endurance produces character. And these aren't really separate things. They're just continuing. Let me show you what I mean. What is character? Now, we can have a lot of different uh, definitions for this, but basically the simplest definition of character is having character is having a proven consistent record of having endurance. <laughs> it's endurance on steroids, basically. It's endurance that never stops. So we look at a person and say they have character because they have a track record, a history of being faithful. They have a history, an integrity about them. They continue to live through storms. They continue to walk through pain. They continue to keep the faith even when everything crumbles around them. And it's not just a one-time deal. That, that word character in the Greek, that do, dokime, is implying proven character. Not even just character, but a proven character. Proven in the fires over and over and over again. It performs as advertised, so to speak. You ever buy anything on Amazon? You see it, you look at it, you see the ad. Yeah, it's pretty cool. What if it works? Looks great. Well, you order it, and when you get it home, you, you open it up, and what's the first thing you want to do? Test it. <laughs> We're going to try it. We're going to see if it works. And you don't just try it once. You try it again and again and again, and you keep using it. And if it does continue to do what it was purported to do, you write a review, and you say, it performs as advertised. 
It pro professed to be a thing that would help me, and it did it, and it kept doing it. And so this is the difference between a rookie and a veteran, basically. That's the word. That's, that's the difference between endurance and character in this verse. Character is the veteran. The one who has proven himself because they've been through adversity after adversity. They have taken the licks and they, like Timex, old ad used to say, they take a licking and keep on ticking. That's character. It's, it's, it's not just a one-time fluke, a one-hit wonder, a flash in the pan. It's not that, oh, I suffered once 20 years ago. I, I got character. No, you endured something. But character means you continue throughout those years to continue to endure. Hit after hit after hit. By grace, you keep on trusting. You keep on believing. You keep on working and walking and marching forward. So the idea here is if you continue to endure, remain steadfast, not, not one-time fluke, not a flash in the pan, but you, this is... This is this is your M.O. now. That's character. But it's also evidence. And this is the idea of testing in our lives, folks. We're tested by suffering to reveal the genuineness or ingenuineness of our profession of faith in Christ. Christians or people can say they're Christians. They can profess with their mouth. But what about when the going gets tough? What about when it gets rough? So this is all parallel to John 8, 31. You see, in John 8, 31, we're going to read the whole thing, uh, or John 8, uh, uh, 12 through 15. But before we get to that, what does Jesus say in John 8, 31? He says this. He says to those who say they believe. You see, what happened is Jesus is teaching a bunch of Pharisees come up to him and say, hey, Jesus, we believe. We're believers. And he answers them in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. I think it's interesting there, that response, because well, sometimes this again, somebody says, I believe, I believe in Jesus. Oh, wonderful, that's great, that's the best. Hey, yes, it's wonderful. And you think maybe that's what Jesus would say, right? Hey, Jesus, we believe your message. Great, welcome, this is great. But what does Jesus say? If, you, you say you believe, but the test is if you continue in my word, then you're truly my disciple. Wow. And, and now this, as we go on, like I say, then Jesus tells this parable of the sower and the soils, it, it's known as. And what happens there is he tells about a farmer who goes out and plants some seeds, right? And the seeds fall on four different types of soil. The first is hard ground, stony ground. The second is a, oh, I'm sorry, the first is hard ground, the second is stony ground, the third is thorny ground, and then the fourth is good ground. But let me just show you what that means. Jesus explains what that means for those who are professing to know Christ. And it gives us this example of what Paul is talking about in Romans 5. Luke 8, 12, the ones along the path are those who have heard. That's the path, the hard path that the seed fell on. Those are the ones that have heard the gospel. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So the first ones are, stony path, are a hard path where they don't even hear. They hear, but then they don't, they don't believe. But look at this. Here's what I want us to key in on. 
And the ones on the rock, rocky soil, are those who, when they heard the word, received it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, suffering, they fall away. And as for what fell among thorns, they, they, are, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Now look at this. As for those in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast. They endure. They're steadfast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. That patience, again, implies this continuing, this steadfast, enduring. They're not just flashy, look at me, I'm a believer, and they don't just talk, 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 but they slowly and faithfully and patiently just keep plugging along. Year in, year out, through trial and hurts and sufferings, they continue to look to Christ. And by faith, believe. They don't give up. They don't throw in the towel. And so that's what Paul is telling us that suffering is meant to do for us. It builds endurance, which builds character. Now look at the rest. Let's put it all together. Verses 3 through 5 now. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given us. So this is the culmination of suffering. It's producing, ultimately, hope, which is what we said last week. That word hope in the Greek is not like the word hope in the English uh, dictionary our word hope is a very just it could happen or it might not it's just waffly i hope i hope it doesn't rain today or i hope i get that job or i hope this and that there's the doubt involved in, the, in our word hope but in the greek that word's definition is this confident expectation Confident expectation. I expect to see the promises of God come to pass. I am confident in the promises of God. That's what hope is. So having said that, that's what suffering does to us as believers. It tests us. What does the Bible say? That we as those who profess Christ as, as our Savior should try ourselves, should test ourselves to see if we're really in the faith. How does that look? It looks like what Paul's talking about. It looks like what Jesus talked about. You say you believe in Christ, but what about when that suffering starts? What about when that persecution starts? What about when the doubts come in? What about when things do not go the way that you thought they should? You have a choice. You can blame God and say, this didn't work. This is not what I was expecting. I didn't sign up for this. And you can deconstruct and walk away from Christianity and say, no, that's, I don't want that. I'm done. But what Paul's telling us is a genuine believer is known and revealed to be a genuine believer because when the sufferings come, they continually run to Jesus. They look to him. They continue following him. Their faith is steadfast. It's the character of faith. And that 
produces a confident expectation in that believer, knowing that I am a child of God. This is not me. This is Christ in me. And this is the evidence. His grace being used in my life and the bad things, the hurts, the pains to cause me to realize that I'm always and only trusting him and him alone. I'm always and only relying on him and him alone. And he never fails. And my faith is strengthened. Confident expectation. Now look, because our confidence, this is the idea of never being put to shame, right? Because if I am trusting Christ and I have been faithfully trusting him and he has been with me through thick and thin i mean all the trials he's never failed he stuck closer than a brother like he promised he's never forsaken me my faith therefore is strong and i don't care what other people think at that point i will not be made ashamed by the confidence i have in christ i will not be embarrassed by the hope i have in his promises and so because our confidence is in the promise of God, we are not humiliated when other people question or deny our faith or they question, why do we believe the Bible? See, the problem today is that many, quote, Christians are humiliated and embarrassed when somebody questions, why do you believe the Bible and how do you believe that fairy tale and why do you believe in Jesus who you've never seen? And the reason they're embarrassed is because their identity rests on being accepted by culture rather than by being accepted by God. They're more worried about being accepted by this culture and looking intelligent and looking winsome and smart in front of culture than they are about just faithfully believing the promises of God, whatever the culture thinks about those promises and about his word. Therefore, what is that? <laughs> That's evidence that you're truly a believer. If you can withstand the, the persecutions, the jokes, the ridicule, the slander, the pain, the persecution, the suffering, and continue joyfully trusting Christ, that's evidence that he is at work in you. That's what Paul's saying. And that gives you great confidence and hope that cannot be put to shame. Never. It will never be put to shame. That word poor, but why is that? Why is it that a true Christian will stand up? This is what Jesus means when he says, those who persevere to the end shall be saved. Now this kind of falls into this thing of once saved, always saved. How do I know I'm saved? Can I lose my salvation? Can I be saved today, lost tomorrow? All this kind of plays together. Because what Paul's giving us here is he's giving the genuine believer a true assurance of his salvation. If we withstand these sufferings, if we withstand the pain and the persecution and the slander over and over and over again, that's evidence that Christ is alive in us, that there's something more in us. Why? It's evidence that God's love has been poured out in our hearts. There's an abundance of something outside of myself that is in me. Because you see, I wouldn't stand up. I want to be liked in my flesh. I want to look smart, hard. I've been trying all my life. But we all have that desire. I want to look smart. I want to be liked. I want to be accepted. I want to be where the cool kids are. You know, all those things. We all have that as, as humans, right? That's our nature. And so that's why if it were up to us, 
The minute we get ridiculed for a ridiculous, old-fashioned, ancient faith in an old book that's outdated and that we actually believe that in 2022? That's why it would be so easy for us in our flesh to say, no way, you're right, and let it go. But what Paul's saying is, when a person says, yeah, you know, I do. I do. I do believe that book. I do believe in the God that I cannot see, but I see the results of him all over the place. You know why I still do that? You know why you would say that? You know why you would stand up and say, no, I do believe his commands. I do believe his word. I do believe his promises. It's because his love has been so poured into your heart, it just overflows. That's where your faith comes from. It's not from you. It's from him. The metaphor they're poured into, the love poured into our hearts, it's it's, it's a metaphor of a cloudburst over a, uh, over a parched desert. I think of Arizona out there in the caverns, and, and they give these, it'll be a sunny, beautiful day, but they'll give flash flood warnings. You're like, what are you talking about? These storms come out of nowhere, and man, they drop. The, the cloud just opens up, and it's just a torrential mini tsunami right there. And it floods these canyons. I mean, boom, it's saturated. Water is everywhere. And that's the word here, poured into your heart. It's a cloudburst of God's love that just pours and floods your heart, totally saturating you with the love of God. So that is what the Spirit does in the heart of a believer at the time of these testings and trials and sufferings. The Holy Spirit reminds us of that love. The Holy Spirit whispers in our ear, you are a child of God. Romans 8, 16 says that. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's where our assurance comes from. It's not just us, but it's the word of God that we have heard and believed. We trust God and take his, him at his word, his promises we believe are true. But even then our flesh is tempted to say, but I don't see those promises happening. That's when the Holy Spirit speaks in our hearts and bears witness and testifies and says, you are a child of God. And if that is happening, then that person will persevere through any suffering, any persecution, any pain, any, any hurt. Now here's Here's the conclusion. Here's how this applies. We all need this. Every Christian in this room needs this sermon today. Because we're all going to face persecution. We're all going to face suffering. We're all going to face hurt. Betrayal. Mis being misunderstood. Being slandered. And all those things are suffering. I mean, in this, in Paul's sense, here in Romans 5, it really does allude more toward a persecution of physical suffering for the cause of Christ. But all of it, all of it fits. All suffering fits. I mean, there's nothing harder than going through a season in your life of doubting your faith. But it, it can happen. We're all humans. Things can happen. Again, we're, we're being battered about, right, by doubt and fears and people questioning and slandering and so forth. And it is genuine suffering to have these doubts bombarding your mind. That is a, a, a kind of suffering, kind of a testing. 
Different ones, we're going to suffer differently, right? D.A. Carson puts it like this. Suffering will take different forms for each of us. Some of us will be called to suffer intellectually. We will be mocked for taking up our cross and daily following Jesus with our minds. For others, it will be actual physical suffering that we have to endure. So I think he gives us a good idea here. There's different kinds of suffering that we're all going to have to endure for the cause of Christ, for our faith. You'll come face to face with all these things. I mean, again, I've mentioned some physical suffering, mental suffering, loneliness. Loneliness. Fear. Fear of being left alone. Fear of betrayal. The hurt from being betrayed by someone you trusted. Confusion. Doubt. All these things, folks. These are tools of the enemy. But also, in the hands of God, they are testings for us. I mean, suffering at times can cause you to feel like giving up, right? We're, we're honest. We've got to be honest. Suffering is real. Suffering hurts. We do, as humans, sometimes have this notion that you just give up. We feel like giving up because, the, you know, the trials of life, like waves relentlessly beating on our ships, repeatedly beating and battering our ship. And we begin to lose heart, and we feel like abandoning the faith altogether. Let's just abandon ship. Let's abandon it altogether. But for the true believer, that's when you feel the gentle tug of the anchor. See, it's not uncommon for us, and it's not a shame for a believer to go through those moments of doubt and hardship and pain and weeping and sorrowing over hurt and persecution. It's not, that's, not the, that's not a problem. It is a problem if that causes us to jump ship and say, forget it, God, I'm out. But here's the glorious truth of Paul's saying. All of us are going to go through that, but here's the truth and the proof that you are truly a child of God. It's at that moment that you're at your wit's end and there's no strength in yourself that you feel the tug of the anchor. What am I talking about, the tug of that anchor? <laughs> you feel the tug of the anchor and the Spirit of God gently reminds you about the love that's been poured out in your heart. And we continue at that point to sail on through the storm toward the grace of God, toward home. We continue. We have that character that comes from endurance. And we continue sailing on. And as we make it through that particular storm, we look back and what is there now? It has now produced hope, a confident expectation that I am a child of God. This is his grace that got me through this. That means he's here. That means I am a believer. That means his spirit is in me. And that love has been shed abroad in my heart. This is the evidence of that, and I would not know that this firmly if I hadn't suffered this horrifically. Does that make sense? That's how we can say suffering is a grace of God in the life of his people. That slander about you was a grace. That hurt was a grace. That persecution was a grace. That betrayal was a grace. If you're truly a believer, meant to strengthen you and turn you solely to your only hope and build your confidence that I am a child of God. So I can sail on through the storm. <laughs> I can sail on through this storm. My, yeah, my 
sails are battered and there's holes in them and all this going on. It may, I may not look the, the, the part of a perfect, pious Christian on the outside. doesn't matter. What is most important is that I have been regenerated by the grace of God through the gospel and I have been justified by faith. And the Spirit of God tells me you are a child of God. That's what matters. And that anchor, it, it can never fail. I'm anchored to Christ through faith in his perfection. Hebrews, I want to end, look at Hebrews chapter 6, 19 through 20, gives us this beautiful picture. This is where that metaphor comes from that I'm using. The idea of there's an anchor for the soul. Our souls are anchored in Christ if I've trusted him by faith. And the anchor cannot be moved. And so Hebrews 6, 19 through 20, look at this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope or a confident expectation that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Now look at that. Do you see what it's saying? We have an anchor. What is the anchor? It's Jesus who has passed on before us through the veil, through the curtain. What is that curtain a picture of? It's a picture of in the temple of the Old Testament, the curtain that separated men from God. It separated us from the Holy of Holies where God dwells. We couldn't get in there, but Christ went in there for us on our behalf. Just as he suffered, bled, and died to take the wrath of God in himself, he has risen again and now passed on through the curtain for us. On our behalf, he is the anchor, firmly settled and seated in heaven. We are connected to him by faith. Therefore, nothing can sink our ships. Do you see this? And the sufferings, they simply show us that. It reminds us if the, if the, if the, if the, if, if the sea is too calm, we forget that we're anchored. <laughs> we forget that we need an anchor. We're just, we're just floating along in the lazy river. But God in his grace stirs up the waters, brings the waves, brings the tumult and the current and, and, and the winds so that we realize, whoa, the anchor holds. The anchor holds. See, unlike other people in this world who are like ships aimlessly being tossed to and fro, frantically looking for a place to drop anchors anywhere. I just need some place to drop anchor. The Christian is like a ship that even though he is in the open seas, he's already securely anchored to his home port. And, and, and when the waves of suffering come, and we may be tossed around, and we will be tossed around like everybody else, but the main difference is our ship is being gently pulled toward home by our anchor, Jesus Christ. Do you see that? That's what Paul's trying to teach us here today. Do you have that confident hope? If you don't, I ask you this today. Hope in him. Trust in him. Trust his merit, his perfection, his death, burial, and resurrection for you. Trust what we just heard in Hebrews. He's passed on into heaven for you. He's the only one who can anchor your soul. Do you have that confidence? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today. Give us the faith to believe your promises. 
Father, thank you for the joy, the rejoicing that has been mentioned in these verses over and over, connected with suffering. Why can we rejoice? Why can we have confidence in the pain, in the suffering, in the hurt? Because you promised never to leave us. You promised us the end. The end is forever settled. We are secure. We're already anchored to our home port. And we're gently sailing home by your grace. Even through the storms, we know we're headed home because of you. Let us live this way now, Father. Let us live in the confident expectation of your promises. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.